I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hey, I'm Isabelle Rassico. And I'm Martine Saint-Victor. This is Seat at the Table. On the show, we welcome guests to our table for honest, intimate, and opinionated conversations on pop culture and the media. On this week's show, we tackle one of the most sensitive taboos in parenting. Do you have a favorite child? Or, like my brother, were you the favorite child? <laughs> oh, really? Well, I don't have a favorite child. Of course you don't. No, I'm serious. <laughs> mm-hmm, sure. Okay, we'll talk about that a bit later. Coming up in the elephant yeah. in the room a little later on. But first, we have a rare sit-down conversation with one of Canada's best-known artists. He gave us numerous hits such as Never Surrender, Sunglasses at Night, and he recently received his star on Canada's Walk of Fame, Mr. Corey Hart. I think I'm 16 again. Hello, Mr. Walk of Famer. <laughs> Thank you. Is that how it's we the first should time, address you? It's the first time someone's ever called me Mr. Walk of Famer. But it just happened a couple of weeks ago. You got your uh, Walk of Fame. I did. Uh, I'm very, uh, very blessed by that uh, moment, actually. But how did it feel? Because you said, and I quote you, the most meaningful career event of my life. It is. It Why? is. Um, because... My country um, recognized me, recognized my body of work. They didn't recognize a particular record or a particular tour that was successful. They recognized everything that I have accomplished. And I think it's more also um, what you what you stand for and your values. And uh, and I'm very proud of my country. I'm proud of my roots, uh, being a Quebecer and also being uh, yeah. from Canada. And I knew about it for many years, that there was a walk of fame. And I felt, well, I guess... They don't like me because they, they never, you know, they never called. So I was like, all right, I just let that go. And I don't, I don't live to get awards or anything no. like that. But this is not an award. This is something that's permanent. Yeah. That, you know, my grandkids can one day walk down King Street and, and see me there. So it's special. Well, it's cool. And now your kids also got to, you know, to live see. the moment. Uh, yeah. So exactly. now they get it more, maybe. Well, my children grew up not seeing me uh, be, um, quote unquote, a rock star. They yeah. saw me being a their dad and that was a decision that we made as a family so my children have in the last four or five years seen me come a little bit out of my shell and a little Mm. bit more back uh, into the musical spotlight um, for very brief occasions Mm -hmm. and it was very meaningful to have my family there of course it was Mm. it's very special I just wish my mom was there my mom passed away so two years ago so she was not there, but uh, I know she was there in spirit watching me. Absolutely. And do the, ki- the kids understand a little bit more? Do they do comparisons sometimes? Do they say, Dad, were you a little bit like Justin Bieber? Were you a little bit, <laughs> you know, with the fame and the adulation? Like Drake? <laughs> the adulation, do they? Well, do they... I think that they do when they see some footage of girls screaming. Then they do say, wow, Daddy, they really loved you. <laughs> they were like freaking out. They Were they listening to the music? I go, well, I don't know. I don't know, because at some point the screaming was really 
intense yeah. mm-hmm. when I would walk out on stage. And sometimes I think if we stopped playing, they wouldn't have noticed the difference, you know. But uh, if they compare me to anybody, they say, uh, well, you write more more like Ed Sheeran than Justin right. Bieber. Right. Oh, do you like this comparison? And I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you think you would fare today with um, the scrutiny that celebrity, that mm-hmm. artists have to go That's a good question. With social media and everything else, the tabloids. There's a there's a plus and a minus to it. I think for me, um, I was always frustrated back in the day that the only way that I could reach my fans was through if I did a television show, or if the record company or a publicist released a statement or something. Yeah. So there's something wonderful and empowering for um, an artist in today's uh, generation to be able to just sit down and grab their phone and send a message out to millions of their fans. Yeah. So there's an incredible bonus to that. If it's abused. And it's 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 used like um, a drug almost every hour, which I find kind of sad to see people constantly, constantly, mm. you know, using their social media uh, excessively. I think it's I think it gets too much. But the freedom to communicate directly with your fans is a, is definitely a benefit. Would you have done a lot of Instagram stories showing <laughs> us your room, showing us no. your no? It's easy for me to say no because I'm not doing that. I have only I only have Facebook, and I only had it like four years ago. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have an Instagram account. I kind of find it annoying, truthfully. That yeah. not, not annoying as that it would be annoying to me, but I, it's really narcissistic. You know that you just. You know, oh, so I had a pear juice today, and it was an amazing pear juice. And then, oh, I went pee right now, and the pee was wonderful, and it was green. And then here's, you know, here's a, here's a picture of my bed, and here's, it's just too much, yeah, for me, yeah. personally. I don't know how do you guys feel about well, it. Well, you don't have to post what you ate. You can say I'm working on new songs. Yeah, here's, but here's here's a tidbit. I mean, I I think we're, it's it's uh. It's uh, sink or swim in the sense that some people do it to an excess where they completely lose themselves. But mm-hmm. I think there are some people who understand very well how to use it, like Kanye West, for example. I mean, I say him, but there are many others who are very... But Kanye West is using it as a... As manifesto. A, as, as, as a manifesto yeah. platform to hit socio-political, yeah. egotistical, yeah. egotistical... Yeah. Egotistical. Well, Beyonce- I tend to agree with Corey on this <laughs> yeah. one. No, but or, or someone like I mean, Beyonce you- who uses it very, very, very well. Right. So I don't follow yeah. what so, yeah. they post, mm-hmm. so I don't know. So my references are more the Kardashians. Yeah. Or that's not, that's, that's your reference. Well, the references are because <laughs> you're following them. No, no, I don't follow them. <laughs> right. My references are my daughters yeah. are saying yeah. to me yeah. that that's the example. Well, that you we see, use. It's, no, it's a perfect example because the Kardashians took it to a next level. They parlayed it into a billion-dollar industry. Right. Well, look, so here's a perfect example, too, um, and it's not just an artist. I think that had social media not existed, um, there'd probably be, a, you know, a different 45th president of the United States in America. Right, you're right. I, I think that the the power that, that he, uh, we're talking about Mr. Donald Trump, Trump. Mm-hmm. I think the power that he had to be able right. to communicate directly to his base um, and to build up his base, I don't know how many uh, million he's got, if it's mm. 40 million or 35 or maybe it's 100 million. I don't know how many he's got. Look, it could be used uh, effectively and yeah. it could be used uh, for good. Mm. But um, a lot of artists, in my opinion, I just think uh, over overdo it. I want to talk about the commercials mm. in which we hear sunglasses at night. There are at least two. 
Mm -hmm. uh, there's Lutu Quebec, at yeah. least in Quebec, and there's Gucci ad. Yeah. The Gucci ad, it was spectacular. Well, yeah, to, to understand the history, <laughs> I have control, but I don't have control. Really? Because what I did when I was very young, when I got my, my first recording contract, was have no lawyer look at it, which was very foolish. And I just went for one clause in the contract that I wanted to, to see was written there. And that contract said, Corey Hart has full artistic control over his music. The rest, I said, I don't give a shit. I don't care. Now, that was really stupid. You don't own the rights? I read, well, I only have half of the mm. rights to that. Ah. And so if I wanted to do something for it, I would need permission from another party. And if they wanted to, um, to do something, they would need my permission so we could stop each other. But, for example, if I wanted to put the song, let's say for Never Surrender. Let's yeah. say I wanted to use Never Surrender as a song to generate funds or, or to put towards a, a cause that was important to me. Let's just say it was, it was Fort McMurray in the fire. Yeah. Okay. The, the co-publishers could say, hey, we want X amount of dollars. And I say, no, I don't agree with you. We should give it gratis. They say no. They, they could say no. Wow. We so, didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that, it happens to a lot of artists yes, when they start out. And uh, I think artists are more savvy and, and more knowledgeable. And like I said, I was only focused when I was 19 to just be able to control what I was going to do musically so that no one could stop me from doing what I wanted to do musically. Yeah. So that really was the only clause in the contract that I cared about. Now, as an adult with children and a grown man, I realized that was a very foolish decision because you could still control your music and you could still protect yourself and have your rights <laughs> yes. but there seems to be like a resurgence of the is, 80s yeah. right right well cnn has this um this decade-based series so they have the 60s the 70s the 80s the mm, 90s and mm. in the 80s i will quote Questlove of the roots who's not only a great drummer but also a, a music connoisseur and he says the music of the 80s was more effective than the music of the 60s because all of us were included there will never be another decade like it. Hmm. What do you think about that? Because hmm. you, you are an instrumental part of that, that decade as, as right. far as music goes. Well, you know, uh, Wyclef John said something similar about, hmm. about the 80s. And actually, he, he said that he, he used to, um, I think his, his father was a reverend and he wasn't allowed to really you know, do music. But at night, when he was supposed to be reading the Bible, he said that he was, he was tripping out the sunglasses at night and he, mm -hmm. used, to, nice. he used to sing it a lot. And, um, and he made a comment too about the 80s being a music, uh, a time period decade where it was inclusive. But I, I, I truthfully, when I look back and, and, and see music from the 60s or the 70s, I, I don't think our decade made the best music. A lot of people today, when they... When you read YouTube and you look at the songs from the 80s, they go, oh, man, if music was only as good as it was then, mm. as it is today. But I think there's a great music created now, personally. Think of all the music that came out in the 60s. I mean, the, sure. all the Beatles and the Rolling Stones came out in the 60s yeah. and Led Zeppelin, yeah. you know, they came uh, the late 60s and 70s. There's, there's great pockets of music through every decade. Mm -hmm. And when I think of the 80s, I think also of Michael Jackson, Whitney yeah. Houston, George Michael. And the British invasion. And, and the British invasion. But where I want to get at is that these three in particular, mm. dead, mm. overdosed. Mm -hmm. How can you explain the fact that you didn't fall into that trap, Corey Hart? What an interview this is. You ladies, you're bringing it, aren't you? <laughs> we try, we baby, tried. we try. This, this is decades of watching Barbara Walters. 
I had no idea. I thought this was going to be very generic. Um, no, no, no. Wow. Welcome okay. to our show. Yeah, well, seat at the table. I like it. Well, I grew up um, seeing my dad do a lot of drugs and, um, and some members of my family. I'm the youngest of five kids. Yeah. So at a very early age, when I started to write songs, like 13, 14 years old, um, I just decided that I was never going to drink and I was never going to do drugs. And when I make my mind up about something, I'm, I'm very determined and, and, uh, and focused. You know, mm-hmm. even though I didn't grow up having my dad around, um, he gave me so many lessons inadvertently that he didn't realize he gave me because I did not want to replicate what he did in mm-hmm. his life, which was um, he wasn't a bad man, but he didn't want to be with his kids. He didn't, yeah. didn't care to be with me. So I've wanted to be with my kids every day. And uh, I decided... I was never going to drink and I was never going to do drugs and I never have. So when you, when you make that decision and if you can stick with that, which I've been able to do, it, it helps cause the chaos or the, the sense of destabilization that happens to artists like, like Michael Jackson or, mm-hmm. or Whitney Houston and George mm-hmm. Michael. I mean, it's a tragedy because, uh, look, our business is tough yeah. and we're exposed to a lot of temptations. And a lot of easy, um, you know, things are very disposable and quick and people give you whatever you want, whenever you want it and as much as you want of it. So if you never start, and I would encourage, you know, anyone listening that um, has never started and get into it, you don't need it, man. You can Mm -hmm. just just be high on life. Mm -hmm. And it's the best endorphin ever. Where do you take that self-confidence? Because I think you were 17 when you first saw like cocaine in front of you and you do stuff that the majority don't necessarily or the majority would not necessarily do like, you know, leave the business. And when, whenever uh, you have something in mind, that's where you go. So yeah. where do you get your self-confidence? Um, you know what? It's another good question. I think that my music, the music saved me because I was really lonely and I was uh, very shy, very, very timid little boy. And um, I was very close to my, my brother growing up with me. We're five, but my brother's uh, almost two years older than me. I was very close to him. And in fact, I was so close to him that they put me in his grade because I kept crying when I was like in grade five. They put me in grade six so I could be with him because we were living in Mexico and I just was so afraid to be by myself. So when I discovered music, it gave me a lot of confidence mm-hmm. because I felt I connected with something and I was able to express myself. So the music was like a fortification. But I think a lot of, a lot of artists that end up being successful and that are the best at their craft are the ones that are, that are quite insecure. So there's a, there's an insecurity to what we do as artists that we should always have. But when I make a decision that's outside of music, I have confidence and uh, determination and strong conviction and nothing can budge me. Like the skies can fall on me, but I'm not going to move. And you live most, uh, most of the time in the Bahamas? We've lived in the Bahamas yeah. for almost 23 years, but we spent five years in Spain for one of my daughters. Uh, Where in Spain? Training in, in Barcelona. In Barcelona. Yeah. There, there are worse, worse places in the world. <laughs> what do you take with you that's very Canadian? What is it that you see in your day-to-day that you say, okay, that's the maple leaf? Well, I say A all the time. <laughs> but um, I don't know. That, you know. I got asked that question often because of the Walk of Fame. What makes you Canadian? What makes you feel Canadian? And... I can say cliche things like, mm. you know, the cold weather or maple syrup or hockey mm. or things like that. But I don't know. I'm proud of the maple leaf. But I'm also really proud of being a Quebecer. I'm really yeah. proud, um, you know, that I can speak French and that my wife's French-Canadian and I was born here and in Montreal. 
And and I think the duality of of our country to have the French and the English mm -hmm. makes us really special. Est-ce que tes enfants parlent français? Ben j'aimerais mieux qu'ils parlent plus qu'ils parlent, mais ils comprennent. Mais ça, c'est la faute de, de Julie. Alors, tu ne peux pas me chicaner avec ça. Bon, on va devoir dire à Julie about it. Mais, you know, Barcelona, I, I speak better Spanish than I speak French. Nice. And one of the great things for, for our son, who's our youngest, was that he, um, he speaks uh, fluent French and Spanish. And uh, I think languages are a real gift that you can give your kids. So Absolutely. Anybody that's from, you know, that's an immigrant that's come to Canada and... Keep that, that mother tongue going. Yeah, I agree. We're going to give you uh, four names, and uh, we need you to just tell us what Isabel they mean to you. Martin? Yeah. No, Billy Joel. Well, Billy Joel was a big influence on me and uh, really taught me what songwriting was about and um, made me play piano, made me write on piano, and um, inspired me. I met him, and... Um, He told me I had a pretty good voice, and that's all I needed to hear. What about Paul Anka? I met Paul Anka when I was 11, and Paul also was a mentor in a way because I, I did not know his music, whereas with Billy Joel I heard on the radio and I was just in awe of what he did. I learned Paul Anka's repertoire and everything, but Paul was, was the first artist that told me that I had talent. And well, the first person other than my mom. <laughs> told me I had and that doesn't count as the yeah. mom. I was going to say and that doesn't, doesn't count. count. So if there was the first person that said, hey, you got a chance, it's Paul. Chris mm -hmm. Everett. She's a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart and she's like a member of our family. What's your link to her? It's through tennis. And we've been friends for 15 years. And uh, she's um, a champion. Uh, as a person, and she's just very loving and nurturing, and I know I can always depend on her, so... Jonathan Roy. My fifth son. But I don't have five sons, I only have one. <laughs> my, fifth, my fifth kid. Um, someone that I love very, very much. Someone that um, has been with me through up and down, through struggles of his, of, of his dreams to make them come true. And uh, we still have a long way to go, but Jonathan's pure of heart and um, you can't buy pure of heart you can't teach pure of heart you just have it and uh, I just hope that this young man succeeds and his dreams come true and I'm going to do everything I can to help him and I love him like a, a child and you're you're his producer uh, manager you have a lot by of default, hats with him by with default, Jonathan his manager he, he should have a proper manager because I'm not a good manager he needs a manager <laughs> he signed to, to my label with Warner Music Canada yeah. um, and I write songs for him and um, creatively that's why I was I, I had the label started in 2003 from Sire Records and you wrote him Daniela Denmark yes, that everybody knows <coughs> I want to know what you saw in him, because just to put things in context, if you're not in Quebec, maybe you're not aware of this story, but he's the son of uh, the le hockey legend, uh, Patrick Roy. Mm -hmm. He was a couple of years playing himself as a goaltender yep. in the uh, Junior Hockey League. And he went across the ice to hit on another uh, goaltender that made news everywhere. People hated him. And next thing we know, he wants to write music and become a singer. But, you know, he had like a strike, if not three against him. What did you see in him that the others didn't? Well, when I was first approached, um, I knew his dad in the 80s. We met a couple times when I used to play, um, play the forum. His, um, uh, 
Jonathan's aunt, uh, Alex, which is Patrick's younger sister, uh, wanted to meet me. So Patrick brought her uh, to the forum and I met her, took pictures. She had all, all pins of Corey Hart <laughs> and it was like a really special moment. And I, I used to play goalie when I was younger. I used to like Ken Dryden, he used to play goalie for the Canadians. And I obviously like Patrick. And, um, and so we knew each other socially. And when Patrick reached out to me, about six years ago, he said, look, my son's doing music. And I knew Patrick had a couple of kids, but it had been maybe 15 years since we had spoken to each other. And uh, he said, will you, will you do me a favor and just have a listen and tell me if, if you think that my son has talent because I know you're going to tell me the truth. So I knew nothing about the, the fight. I knew nothing <laughs> about those two or three strikes against him. Um, it, Patrick had told me that, yeah, he's playing hockey, but he wants to do music. So I said, let him come down to my place uh, in Nassau and uh, we'll spend a couple of days together and I'll, I'll let you know. The short answer to what I saw in Jonathan mm -hmm. was raw talent that, that needed to be sculpted. When I started to work with him, I saw the other qualities that I was describing earlier mm -hmm. about his, the goodness and the purity of his mm -hmm. heart. The guy doesn't have a, a mean bone in his body. He's got a temper. <laughs> Apparently, so do you, he says. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. I know we thank have you. to uh, let you go, uh, Corey Hart, but that's been such an interesting uh, conversation. I loved it. You guys, uh, I wish you great luck. It's a seat at the table? Seat at the table. You can't miss the seat at the table. <laughs> you didn't yes. tell me your story of the album cover. I have... Miss Martin. Yes, so I have two album jackets of Boy in the Box, but only one vinyl. So when I was, I think, 10 or 11, we got broken into it in my house. And the thieves took the sound system. But it was your mom that must have bought it because you're too young to have bought that album. No, so I, I, I think I had gotten it for Christmas. And so the vinyl was in the vinyl player when the robbers took it. Oh. And so when the cops came, my mom's freaking out about the, you know, things being stolen. Television. Yeah, stuff like that. And I'm crying. And, and she's like, what did you lose? I'm like, you're not even going to understand. And the cop is doing the manifest of what's stolen. I go, he goes... What's wrong? What did you lose? Was it your Walkman? It was the 80s. Was it? I go, the vinyl, the Corey Hart vinyl. He goes, oh, okay. And then he writes it down. The next day, the doorbell rings. It's the cop. He had bought the album for oh, me. That's so, so that's why I have two Hey, that's jackets. a good thing to say that's about the cops. Yes, I know. Story. I love that. I love so that. So that's why I have two. Well, good yes. luck, ladies. Thank, Thank you, for, you for the interview. I wish you a ton of success. Thank you. And Thank you've you. taken a little bit of Oprah and Barbara Walters and, <laughs> and combined it. You said it. We didn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And now it's time for the elephant in the room. So the elephant in the room this week is a topic that really makes me feel uncomfortable. And I think it's one of the biggest taboos in parenting, having a favorite child. And I was so surprised to learn, that's according to the Journal of Family Psychology, that 74% of mothers and 70% of fathers do have a favorite child. But, you know, normally when you ask a parent, they say, no, I love my children the same way. I don't prefer one over the other. And before we go into this conversation, let's decide what that means. Mm -hmm. Do you love a child more or do you have a preference for a child over the other? And it has nothing to do with love. In my experience, I have an older brother and I, I've always felt like he was the favorite child. I don't think that our parents love him more than they love me. I do think that he got preferential treatment through the years. And so this is how I concluded that he's the favorite child. And this is something that was very perceivable, very young. 
So I again, the love is, is the same. It's just applied differently. And what I've noticed with my friends who, who are parents is that a lot of times I see it. They do have a favorite child, but they love all their children the same way. But they have a favorite. Yes. I'm so, I don't know why I'm so uncomfortable with this conversation. I have two boys, 11 and uh, almost 14. And the idea of me favoring one child over the other makes me sad and upset at the same time. Okay. I asked the question to uh, Christopher and Justin, my two sons. So here they are, Justin and Christopher. Okay, kids, do you think that I have a favorite child between the two of you? No, no. No? I think you love both of us. Okay. Uh, I will say no, but in my mind is is a yes. Uh, Because uh, sometimes... uh, my mom is always on 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 my back and uh, don't like that. So you feel that I prefer Justin? Yeah. Okay, do you think that daddy has a favorite child between the two of you? Oh yeah, Justin all the way, all the way. Justin? Uh I'm I'm going to take the same choice, but he likes the both of us. Okay, you feel that he likes the both of you that you're not his favorite child? Yeah. So would you be upset if we did have a favorite child? No. You'd be okay with that? Yeah. How How come? Because I think in my head I say it's not a big deal. He still likes me. Wow. Okay. And you, Chris, do you think that it's a problem to have a favorite child? Now I am living with it. So... If, if if it was a problem, the next morning I would just get out of, of, of this house and go into an apartment. So for me, it's not a big thing. Okay, so I was surprised, obviously, by their answers. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm understanding, though, and I think it's a question of perception. Christopher is the oldest child, and we are more difficult with him than we are with Justin because we want him to... Um, set an example. Set an example. And he's the first one to go through certain s- stages. And so, of course, his brother is not having the same type of guidance because he's the youngest one. He feels that we prefer Justin because of that. But I think that it's really a, que- a question of perception from yeah. a child's point of view. In my case, because I, I noticed it so young, and by the way, my brother would disagree that he's the favorite child, but that's a whole different topic. I have parlayed this situation to my advantage. Oh, really? Because I, I know sometimes I was able to guilt my parents into decisions that normally they would not have agreed to. And this is when I was much younger. For me, it's particular because sometimes I feel like l'enfant terrible and the golden child. And in some research, it says that uh, a lot of the eldest are the favorite ones. And in other research, it shows the opposite, that the youngest one mm-hmm. is the favorite. So it's really hard to tell, really, yeah. what's happening. But I do remember one time making the comment to a friend. You know, I, I told her, I said, well, you know, I'm of Haitian origin. My, my brother's the firstborn. So the firstborn and you're of Haitian origin He's a king. And my friend who's of Greek origin said, oh, please, same thing with Greeks. So I don't know if there, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if there's something cultural about that. But for sure, if you're, if you're the, the eldest and you're a son, I think there's something very perhaps historical about it because you carry, you carry the name, etc. Um, but, you know, like I said before, you have, to, you have to realize that 
we are very sensitive to that. And I think even the favorite child is sensitive to that and knows they're the favorite and certainly play to that as well, play to that place in the family. I, I just think that it's not, obviously it's not politically correct nor diplomatic to admit that you have a favorite child, but most often it happens. I mean, I see it with my friends. I see it, Isabel, even with you, I see it sometimes. Different treatment. I know you, you love... You think I have a favorite child? You do. Ah! I won't say whom, but you do. Oh, I'm so traumatized by this. And no. I, yes, and I see it with, with, our, with our other girlfriends who are moms as well. It's... I'm, I, I, I don't know. We're going to have to go on with this discussion off air because <laughs> I need to know who you think is my favorite. Yeah. And second of all, what am I doing? Okay, but can you answer this? Mm-hmm. What am I doing that makes you think that I prefer one child over the other? It's the way you react when they do something wrong. So the way you approach them when they do something wrong is different. You are harsher on one, easier on the other. And that's how it was for me with, with, between my brother and I. Mm. Do you know? So I understand for every child, the pedagogy is different. Yeah, it's a question of personality exactly. and what they can take. Exactly. Well, the thing is, that's the thing. It's because you you know you have a child that's tougher than the other on the outside. It doesn't mean on the inside they don't hurt as much. And I think that's what it comes from. Do you know? Mm. So certain personalities, they're hurt, you'll never know. But the, you're going to have another child who's going to wear his heart on his sleeve. So as soon as he's, he's hurt, you know. And because of that, you adjust the way you apply discipline. Yeah. I think we all do that as parents. I think so. But parents, please, just love your kids and know that the one that doesn't feel favorite will hit you up for a preferential <laughs> treatment elsewhere. <laughs> But this is how I would conclude this topic. That you want to get out of desperately, I see. Yes, I'm... (laughs) It's from Dr. Barbara Howard. She says, I think you can let people off the hook from feeling guilty about having a favorite. It's what you do with it that matters. Yes, and as they say, the kids will be all right. That's it for this week on Seat at the Table. I'm Martine Saint-Victor. And I'm Isabelle Racicot. Seat at the Table is produced by Alan Johnson and Melissa Fandira. Technical work by Dominique Baudouin and Tanya Gancheva. We want to hear what you have to say. On Twitter, use the hashtag ACTCBC and tweet us directly at Martine Montreal and at Isabelle Racicot. We're also on Facebook, Seat at the Table CBC, or shoot us an old-fashioned email, seat at cbc.ca. To make sure you never, ever, ever miss an episode of Seat at the Table, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to review us. Be kind. Seat at the Table is a CBC original podcast. To hear more shows, visit cbc.ca slash original podcasts. So next week on Seat at the Table. So a lot of times it says when the singing act is finished, the crowd just scatters out the room. So I'm saying, okay. So when the uh, the weekend was uh, performing and then they got off and I just played hip-hop style and nobody went to the other after parties <laughs> they stayed with you and it's a new york crowd they get it <laughs> so, so it, it just shows that you know everybody has a love of music but it, it just goes back to my my hip-hop theory which is it has to be in pop or rock or jazz or blues or funk or disco or r&b into alternative or caribbean or latin i'm gonna get you one way or another and when i get you then i'm gonna get you and it, it it's been pretty successful for me for quite a few decades now so now I get a chance 
to really go into my collection and play all the songs from like the 60s and the 70s and I go to 80s and 90s and 2000s. I can, I can really move it around now and it's really quite interesting. That's right, next week, Grandmaster Flash on Seat at the Table. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.